Aloha, Mai. Welcome to the first Sunday in Advent. I can't believe we're already in the season of blue. Today we're going to light the first candle on the Advent wreath, and it's the candle of hope. The gospel is going to take us to a man named Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, which means he's got everything figured out. The Pharisees have put Jesus in this tiny little box. Oh, they called him the Messiah that they were waiting for. But everything was in this box, and everyone had to conform, not confirm, but conform to that little box. And if you were outside the box, you weren't worth talking to because that meant you didn't agree with them. But Nicodemus has some questions. And so he goes to Jesus in the middle of the night, and he says, can we talk? And Jesus says, come on in. I'd be happy to. I want you to know that hope comes from asking questions. We all have doubts. We all have worries. We all have fears. And when we step into God's presence, Jesus says, we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. This is where we find our truth. It draws us closer into our relationship with Jesus. And in his mercy and grace, he comforts us. He forgives us. And he puts his arms around us and says, we can talk anytime you need. That's what brings hope to us. Knowing that somebody cares so much about us that even if we stray, even if we have too many fears and doubts, even if we're literally worried about our own salvation, Jesus steps in and he says, let me talk to you because I've got some beautiful promises that I want to share because you are unique. You are unreproducible. Oh, you're a little peculiar, but God loves you more than you will ever know. John 3.16 isn't just about, well, a quick catchy phrase that we can use. It's about God telling you how much he loves you. So may God bless us this day as we come into his presence, as we are renewed by his spirit and strengthened for our walk in his world. We make our beginning in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's light that first candle in here from St. Luke, first chapter. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the church of God and for the unity of all. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For this holy house and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Stir up your power among us, O Lord. And come, that by your protection we may be rescued from our sins and every threatening peril, and be saved by your mighty deliverance. All of this we pray in the powerful and precious name of Jesus, who lives and reigns with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 
Let's hear from God's holy word. The Old Testament lesson for this, the first Sunday in Advent, is from Isaiah, the second chapter, beginning at the first verse. The vision that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. All nations will stream to it, and many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways, so that we may walk in his paths. For instruction will go out of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will settle disputes among the nations, and provide arbitration for many peoples. They will turn their swords into plows, and their spears into pruning knives. Nations will not take up the sword against other nations, and they will never again train for war. House of Jacob, come and let us walk in the Lord's light. This is the word of our Lord. Second lesson from Romans chapter 13, beginning at the 11th verse. Besides this, knowing the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, and the daylight is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency, as in the daylight, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. This is the word of our Lord.
Holy Gospel is from St. John, third chapter, beginning at the first verse. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, I assure you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But how can anyone be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked Jesus. Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be? asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things, Jesus replied? I assure you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about things that happen on earth and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about things of heaven? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world that He might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This then is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. This is the gospel of our Lord. Welcome to a new church year. Welcome to Advent. I found this present. It's not Christmas yet, but I hope there's something good inside. I hope it's something special. I hope lots of things. Let's open up and see what's inside. It is something special. It's an ornament. I'll have to make sure I get my tree up this week so that I can hang it on it. Hmm, what's on it? It says hope. Hope is the candle we lit today. What is hope? Close your eyes and imagine you're somewhere really, really, really dark. You can't see anything. Not even your hand in front of your face. And then all of a sudden, in a distance, you see a bright light. You have hope.
there's light. You're not in the darkness anymore. And that is what Advent is about. We wait for Christmas and we have hope. Sometimes the world around us seems dark, but the light of Jesus is coming. When we light the candles on our Advent wreath each week, we can have hope because Jesus is the light of the world. We wait for him. Hmm. This side of the ornament, though, kind of looks like a raindrop and not the top of a candle. Water. The color blue. It's also the color of hope. Why can we have hope in Jesus? Because he's the savior of the world. In our baptisms, he calls us his children. We have hope because of Jesus. During Advent, we wait for Christmas. We wait for Jesus for one day when he will come again and it will be perfect and bright and light forever. No darkness ever again. So what are you hopefully waiting for? I'm hopefully waiting for Christmas. I'm hopefully waiting for Jesus, the savior of the world, the light of the world, the one who comes to us, the greatest gift. Well, boys and girls, if you would like to make an ornament of, like this of your own, feel free to send me a note. Aloha at OurSaviorHawaii.com and we'll make sure you get a template to make one too. And come back next week because I've heard there's going to be another present for us. All hope for that. In the meantime, look for Jesus. Look for his light. He brings you hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we believe. Help us with our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen. Very few of us have the faith that we wish we had. Now, the reason I know this is because every time we turn on the news and there is a mass shooting, an earthquake, a war, a child run over by a parade float, we cry out, why, God? And that sounds a lot like a lack of faith. In Mark 9, the following story plays out. A large crowd was watching the scribes argue with disciples. When Jesus arrived, they ran to greet him. He asked, what are you arguing about? One man answered, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Wherever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. Notice the setup. Jesus sent his disciples out to heal people. A father brings his son to them, but the disciples fail epically. You can imagine the heated exchange between the father who had great hope and the disciples who were saying, we don't understand. And the scribes are standing there saying, we told you this, uh, that Jesus is nothing really. And, and the failure of his disciples proves it. Jesus then shows up and says, you unbelieving generation, how long do I have to put up with you? Bring him to me. Jesus isn't just talking about or to the disciples because the unbelieving generation includes everybody there, the scribes, the father, the disciples, the crowd. Everyone takes a deep breath and holds it while they wait to see what's going to happen next. They bring the young man to Jesus, and when the evil spirit sees Jesus, it panics, and the young man falls to the ground and rolls around foaming at the mouth. 
Jesus calmly asks, well, how long has this been happening to him? The father answers from childhood, and many times it has thrown him into the fire or the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And there's the big ask. The father says, I'm not too proud. I'll try one more time. In fact, I'll try a hundred more times because I love my son. So if you can do anything, do it. And Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. It sounds like a mild rebuke, as though Jesus is a little miffed that anyone would question him or his power. But if you look deeper, Jesus isn't blasting the Father. He knows that everyone there, including the disciples, their hearts are filled with doubts and worry and unbelief, and so he holds out the promise of faith to them. He says, even in the midst of your doubts, your fears, your unbelief, allow me to offer you the gospel. Everything is possible to the one who believes, even if your faith is dinged and dented by doubts and worry and unbelief. The father then offers what I consider to be the most truthful response in the entire Bible when he says, okay, I believe. Now help me with my unbelief. Well, wishing that we had more faith is a normal part of faith. And every time we praise someone for having great faith because of something we saw or something we heard about, well, we're doing solely based on the end result of whatever we saw or heard about. We may marvel at their faith, but we have actually no idea what fears and doubts and worries they had going on on the inside regardless of what was going on on the outside. You see, faith, according to the Bible, is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. And if you fully and completely understand and accept those words without any fear, doubt, or worry, you have a greater faith than I do. If you've ever read St. Paul's letter to the Romans and Ephesians, you know that he makes a really big deal out of faith. We are saved by faith through grace. Abraham's faith was credited as righteousness. We are justified by faith apart from works of the law. If you have average faith like I do, these verses can be pretty scary. We, we can start to wonder, what if I don't have enough faith? <clears throat> what if my faith is just off by that much? How can I know if my faith is enough? Now, Jesus said faith, the size of a mustard seed, was enough to move mountains, or more appropriate for us. He gave another example. He says if you even have a faith the size of a mustard seed, you could plant a palm tree in the ocean and it would grow. So a mustard seed-sized faith is more than enough for God to save you. And by the way, if you didn't know, a mustard seed is smaller than the makapia pia you pull out of your eye in the morning, so it's pretty manini. Nicodemus is an amazing model of faith, not because he is a spiritual giant, but just the opposite. It's because he's not a spiritual giant, or at least on the inside. He may have never admitted his doubts, fears, and worries to anyone else, because, by the way, that would have been a real epic failure as, as a Pharisee. But he admitted them to himself. Sneaking around at midnight so nobody sees you talking to Jesus isn't exactly virtuous. But he still went to talk to Jesus about his doubts something that, to the best of our knowledge, none of the other Pharisees did. And once he gets there, he acknowledges Jesus is from God. He calls Jesus a teacher, shows him respect, and then he asks the hard questions. Now, in rabbinic tradition, debate and questioning are a sign of respect. To ask somebody, why do you believe this, is not rhetorical. You actually want to know why they believe it. You see, what they have to say and entering into a conversation with an open mind and heart is exactly what you are asking them for. 
Now, by the way, not so open that your brains fall out, but open enough that you might hear something that could lead you closer to the truth that you are seeking. And isn't that what all of us want? To know the truth, that, that truth that Jesus said would set us free? Now the church, and that includes both denominations and individuals, often come across so confident and concrete in what they believe that they are not even willing to enter into any type of discussion about who they are and what they believe. And often they are clear, if you don't accept exactly what we believe without question, well, you're lost. Evangelism and outreach become a process of conformation. Not confirmation, but confirmation. Everyone having to conform to that particular church or individual's belief and practice. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Now, first of all, there is a truth. And that truth should set us free, not turn us into mindless robots. Now, I'm not sure why God made things so there can be more than one understanding on a particular area of theology. I mean, it's one thing when a church or an individual takes a completely non-biblical view and takes it to the extreme, something so outlandish that everybody knows that it did not come from the Bible and certainly didn't come from God. But when somebody says you've got to be fully immersed for it to be a baptism versus just a sprinkling of water, or a tithe is 10% of your income, period, Versus 2 Corinthians 9 that says it's more important that any offering you give comes from the heart. Those are things we can sit down and talk about because both sides can justify their position using scriptures. We shouldn't be afraid of a discussion. And in the end, it's God's work and God's word that is more important than how much water gets used and how much money you give. I want you to notice Nicodemus is asking questions that are pretty direct. But Jesus' answers are pretty obscure. Uh, granted, he did get woke up in the middle of the night, but actually Jesus is using the ancient Jewish custom of wisdom teaching that pushes Nicodemus into a deeper and deeper layers of understanding instead of just memorizing passages and memorizing answers that can be regurgitated later. Now, that can be frustrating when you only have five minutes and you just want a yes or no answer, but Jesus says, if you really want to know the answer, I can't just say yes or no. You need to know why it's yes or why it's no. If we jump to the end of this story where Jesus says to Nick, God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him, we get a glimpse of why Jesus was willing to burn the midnight oil to talk to Nicodemus and why he was using wisdom teaching. It's called compassionate listening and compassionate sharing. You know my rant on arguing for the sake of arguing. My paraphrase of Solomon's proverb is, if you argue with an idiot, it just makes you an idiot. And it doesn't matter which of you is an idiot in the first place. The whole he did it first doesn't count here. We all know people who are not going to change their minds. We're not even going to make a dent in their self-protective armor. I mean, they have surrounded themselves and they say, no, I don't even want to talk about it. And, and they are so set in their ways. It literally is a waste of our time to talk to them. We still pray for them. Oh, we'll talk to them about anything else. We might even go bowling, have a slice of turkey, watch a good TV movie with them. We don't back down from our own beliefs, but neither do we keep pushing them because it's just banging our head against a concrete wall. Last week, I gave you this quote from Madeleine Lengel. She said, we do not draw people to Christ by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are. 
No, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. Nicodemus wants to talk, not just to waste time or prove how smart he is. He has questions and is passionate about finding the answers. That is what makes this a whole different story. It's going to take time. There are no yes or no answers, which is why Jesus goes straight to the heart of the matter, which, by the way, is the heart and the soul of Nicodemus himself. Jesus says, Nick, the only way you are going to get any of this is to leave your old self behind, which is not easy for anyone, especially smart and powerful people like you. But consider it a rebirth. The old self dies, the new self rises. Now, Nicodemus can almost get his fingers around this, but it's very hard, and he's going to need some time to think about it. So there is no sinner's prayer that night, no notch in Jesus' Bible for another sinner saved. No, but Nicodemus is well on his way. I want you to notice, there is no closure given to us about the conversation. Now, toward the end of the conversation, Jesus does less wisdom teaching and more direct preaching. And we don't know whether they just talked another 10 minutes or whether they were still talking when the sun came up. But one thing we do know, the chapter ends with Jesus saying, anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Now, the next chapter, we're done with Nick and we're dropped into the middle of an argument between John the Baptizer's disciples and the Orthodox Jews over baptism. Oh yeah, the joy of church work. Nicodemus turns up again twice. First in the Gospel of John, in chapter 7, he speaks for Jesus when the other religious leaders had decided to have him arrested. They're sick of what Jesus is doing to their church. And so they decide to have him arrested. Nicodemus says, you know, that's not our way. We, we need to talk to him first. And the, the other Pharisees say, who are you? Get out of our way. And then in John 19, after a long and dark Friday and an even worse Saturday, Nick shows up at the tomb of Jesus with a hundred pounds of spices. Now, just imagine what it took him to carry that. He was going to prepare Jesus' body for burial. But when he gets there, he finds out he's got to carry those spices all the way home again because Jesus isn't dead anymore. We might never hear a sinner's prayer or confession of faith from Nicodemus, but we witnessed two moments after Nick and Jesus had their late night discussion that makes it obvious Nicodemus kept wrestling with what Jesus said to him. He knew he lived in the world, but was he also of the world? He would have to choose between being a Pharisee and a disciple. His wrestling led him to standing up for Jesus, even though he was immediately reprimanded by the other Pharisees, which more than likely not only led to a loss of face, but quite likely a loss of any position that he had attained. But even after Jesus had been killed, put to death by, among others, uh, the Pharisees that Nick defended Jesus to, Nicodemus came to honor Jesus and fulfill the Jewish rituals. Even in death, Nicodemus saw something in Jesus. And I have no doubt that when he arrived at the tomb that Easter morning and found it empty, he walked away saying, I knew it. I knew it. Nicodemus is a bit of a hero for those of us who did not see a bright light or got swallowed by a giant fish or spent time in a lion's den or in the fiery furnace. Instead, we were drawn slowly into faith through ordinary days and many dark nights of the soul, including quite a few where we woke Jesus up at midnight to have a chat about how things were going in our life or in the world we expressed more than a few doubts and fears and worries. 
And Jesus, blessed Jesus, in moments of compassionate listening and sharing, pointed us to the cross and the empty tomb and reminded us of the promise of God. There are many things that happen in the world that shake our assumptions about us and God and life in general. And there are always faithful people struggling to understand their faith in the midst of it. Living out our life of and in faith doesn't mean we're immune to pain or doubt or fear. Oh, how I wish it did. Jesus says he's ready to practice some compassionate listening and sharing today because of, well, out of all the things he created, he is most thankful for you. Doubts, fears, worries, and all. He loves you. How the whole birth and rebirth Jesus talked to, to Nicodemus about happens, still a bit of a mystery. But as you can see, the effects of the wind, but not the wind itself, I think it's obvious that what we need to do is look for the effects of the Spirit in our life and in the lives of those around us. Maybe that can be enough. You are unique and unreproducible. You are a child of God. Ask all the questions you want, whenever you want, and know that Jesus doesn't have office hours. Long before remote working became even something that we imagined, well, Jesus promised that he would be wherever you are, right there with you. That makes it pretty convenient. You don't have to wake him up in the middle of the night. If you're up, you can talk to him. And if you still want to know if your faith is enough, if you find yourself standing up for someone who no one else will stand up for, if you find yourself going out of your way to honor someone, even though they left you with more questions than answers, if you stop and with a little compassionate listening and sharing help someone else process their questions and doubts and worries and fears, I think you can see the wind blowing and you know the spirits at work. I believe. Now help me with my unbelief. And Jesus says, I've got all night. What would you like to talk about? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you join me in our confession of faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. With the fourth Sunday of the month and the start of the Advent season, we share another spiritual discipline during our Connection Point time. This month, we reflect on the discipline of submission. As 21st century believers, we may cringe at the thought of this idea when we think of the ways it has been abused. Yet submission in its purest and perfect form brings hope and freedom. As Richard Foster writes, it is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. We yield our body, mind, and spirit to the one we see in the manger and on the cross. He denied heavenly glory to save us. In response, we deny our selfish will and submit to his, 
for he holds all things together. His eternal perspective is greater than our present. Recognizing the freedom found in this truth, we pray with hope the words of the Advent hymn. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Flowers on the altar given by Brandon and Kayla in celebration of their wedding anniversary. Believe it or not, no birthdays this week. Well, that we know of. If you've got a birthday, please email us. Aloha at OurSaviorHawaii.com. We'd love to add you to the list. Celebrating anniversaries? Well, Brandon and Kayla. In our prayers, the hope that we hope to give to our two Blessing Box families. If you want to know more about that, email us. We've adopted a couple of families as well as we're raising uh, food and other things for the Hawaii Food Bank and the Waianae Food Bank. We mourn and celebrate with the Stonebreaker family at the heavenly homecoming of Bill. Give thanks and pray for Pastor Jeff Mueller, who has received the call to Waikoloa Lutheran on the Big Island. We'll keep uh, Pastor Jeff in our prayers as he deliberates where God would have him serve. We give thanks for Tiffany LaJoy. She happens to be our Savior Lutheran School's first grade teacher. Pray for the ability to be the non-anxious presence in our community. Pray for those who could use some encouragement and those who need God's healing and restoring touch in body, mind, or spirit. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come into your presence this day and we're amazed. We see the blue on the altar and we're reminded of the sky. Someday we will be called into your heavenly glory where all of our questions will be answered, where all of our doubts will be erased, where all of our fears will be no more. Until that day, inspire us, encourage us, strengthen us, send your angels to watch over us, your spirit to dwell within us. Allow each and every moment of our lives be one of discovery as we are drawn closer into our relationship with you. We pray for those like Nicodemus that on the outside look all put together but inside have questions. We pray for those that are completely and totally, well, they're lost because they've chosen to walk away from you and in fact walk away from everyone. We pray that we would love our prodigals, that we would continue to keep a table place for them and the light on outside. We pray for churches that are struggling. Father, there's a lot of them. These are not easy times. And as we figure out how to care for your people, give us strength and encouragement. Bind our hearts as one. Let us truly be a synod that walks together, holding each other's hands as we do what you have called us to do. Father, this last week was filled with unspeakable tragedy. We pray for the families and friends who lost loved ones, who were injured, whose lives were torn apart because of senseless violence. Father, we pray that you would work in and through us to be your church, to reach out in love and respect and encouragement and joy that we might be there to be your voice, your feet, your hands. Father, these prayers and about a million others that we have in our hearts and minds, we pray that you would take them unto yourself. Answer us out of your good and gracious will. Walk with us, talk with us, remind us each and every moment of our lives. All of this we pray in the powerful and precious name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom 
and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be and abide with us all. Stay healthy, love Jesus. Continue to be the community of faith. Know that that candle was lit for you, that you may have the hope of eternal life, the hope of a promise that is right even now. And more importantly, know that you're loved. We do love you. Can't wait to see you next week. Aloha. Ahuiho.